name, amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's a real delight and a privilege, as always, to be here. Um, it's kind of a tit-for-tat that we have. Stuart preached at our staff Eucharist at the end of term, and it is a great partnership that we have. I also just want to take this moment to say thank you, Stuart, to you and to others who took part in the services. They really were wonderful uh, over this Easter time, and it was lovely to see the church so very full. I always remember my bishop when I was a parish priest back in the day. Um, and I remember after that last service on Easter Sunday, we'd stand around in the vestry and we'd go, Alleluia, Christ is risen. The clergy, however, are dead. <laughs> it's a big, big week, that Holy Week. So thank you so very, very much for being there. Of course, last week, this whole auditorium was full. There was barely a space, barely a seat. And it's so wonderful to get together, isn't it, at these periods, Easter and Christmas, and see the church so very full. I wonder where those people are today. I wonder if any of them who were here last Sunday are here today. I doubt it. Please allay my doubt. You were here. Any of those who were not normally here who were here, are they here? Probably not. They came last week, but for some reason, they're not here today, and I did wonder about that. The most important feast day of the Christian year, how hospitable is our theology to those who struggle to believe? On the two days of the year that most people attend church, they hear the story of a virgin who gave birth to a Christ who grew up to be a man who was killed on a cross and died and then was resurrected. That's a big ask in the world that we live in today. Somebody actually commented to me quite recently from this very congregation I wonder how many people still actually believe in the literal resurrection of Christ. Wow. That's quite a statement, isn't it? That is quite a statement to make. And yet as Christians, that's what resurrection is all about. It's the meaning of our life and the purpose of our life. I wonder how many people here struggle to believe some of what we are called to believe in our faith. Let's just name the elephant in the room. Doubt and unbelief are very closely related. And the former, doubt, can very quickly become the latter, unbelief. Journalist Caroline Curavilla writes this, I couldn't tell you exactly when I started losing my faith. I can only describe it like this. It's something like standing near the ocean and watching the sun glistening on the water, only to realize much later that the tide has gone out. And I felt so sad when I read that. And in this article, she went on to say, 
you know, six things that Christians should never say to people who have lost their faith, you know, like, don't worry, you'll get it back. Not a good idea. But she does say that many Christians encounter a process which she names as switching. She calls it switching. And it's apparently a word that is being used quite a lot. And what she means is that the faith of our childhood is very often different to that which we encounter in our adulthood. And so it should be, because it deepens and grows and flourishes. And as our lives continue to become full of years, our faith grows and matures in a different way too. The basic tenets of our faith remain and are strong and still there. But somehow, it's different. When I left South Africa, for example, I threw out some of my early sermons of about 20 years ago. After reading the first few, I realized how cringeworthy they were. And that is only because I have grown and matured and developed in my own faith, as every single person here has done. And one of the beautiful things about being a family is that we accept one another where we are and how we are in our, in our growth, in our maturity, encouraging one another and developing one another. Doubt is an interesting concept. It's an interesting word, in fact. I love words. You see, it contains a silent B. I should have put the slides up. D-O-U-B-T. Who puts a B in the middle of a word like that? Doubt. A silent B. It's not the B that's at the end of the word like lamb and comb and thumb. It's right in the middle. It's lurking. It's sinister. It's silent. It's kind of subtle. Yeah? You get that one? It's like debt. You hope no one will notice that either, of the financial variety or of the sinful variety, as we heard in the old form of the Lord's Prayer. That silent B. Doubt lurks, and it lurks in all of us, like sin. So if I were to say to you today, is there anybody here who has no sin in their lives? I am really relieved not to see any hands going up. And I say the same about doubt. Anyone here never doubted? Never thought about doubt? Never looked at the stories that are engaged in our faith, the basic tenets and principles, and where suddenly you're caught up and going, what? Doubt is part of our everyday lives. And I love the words of the psalmist. The psalmist who says in Psalms 42 and 43, why are you so full of heaviness, my soul? And why so unquiet within me? And that unquietness, that disquiet in our, in our souls often comes from that, oops, what if? And doubt is found everywhere. It's found in our own capacities, our capabilities, our values, our decision-making. We doubt others. We doubt their love for us. We doubt what we can do and not do. We doubt others' integrity, our own integrity. We doubt 
and we doubt various versions of the truth, our own and those that are given to us, and we doubt our faith. Like Christ in the womb and Christ in the tomb. Get it? There's that B again. The virgin and the resurrection. It just seems to lurk everywhere. And so right into this place, fraught with all this discombobulation, comes Thomas. Thomas, the disciple, the apostle of Jesus. And I always think of Thomas as one of those people that sits in the back row, observes, and listens. And the reason for that is because we don't know too much about Thomas, really. He's not one of those upfront and vocal. I love the fact that Thomas was probably the kind of person who sat at the conference and journaled, took notes, and then reflected on them quietly. You know there's a gospel according to Thomas? Some of you will know that. It didn't quite make it into the Bible, but it's like his journal of 114 sayings of Jesus. Somebody also wrote the Acts of Thomas, which was the story of what he did after the resurrection when he went out and ministered in places like India where it is believed that he might be buried. So Thomas was one of those quiet observers in my mind, in my imagination, who journaled and thought deeply. But what is very important in this beautiful gospel message today is that it offers us two things. And the first thing it offers us is the permission to doubt. It's okay to doubt. And the second thing it offers us is an invitation to continue along our spiritual path anyway. In a school situation, as Marianne will know, and others who teach Christian education in schools, you're sitting with a group of kids who don't really want to be there, not in Christian living anyway. And a beautiful boy the other day who said to me, why do we call it Christian living when we're Anglican, Mother Anne? So we had to do a whole lot of teaching on that. But for me, it is about saying to the students, believe as you can and not as you can't. Because if we put stumbling blocks in their way and say, this is what you have to believe, they simply turn and walk away. And for those of us who have this wonderful, wonderful faith that is strong, that's great. That's wonderful. And Stuart did a wonderful job of that last week, saying, this is what I believe, witnessing supremely as an intellectual, saying, it might not make sense and there might be mystery, but it's what I believe, it's what I hold on to, and it's the, the background of my life, the rock on which I build my life. But so often we live in a world which wants everything to be verifiable, evidence-based proof. We need to know the science. And so I found that our students engage far better with me when we give them permission to doubt. And I think that's what God wants of all of us. 
We see that in the reading today. The disciples said, we've seen the Lord. Thomas said, yeah, I need to be able to put my fingers in those marks where the nail was and in the side where the spear was. And when Jesus enters in and Thomas recognizes him, it doesn't say that he reached out and put his hands in those wounds or marks of wounds. I don't think I would either, I have to be honest. But he is able to say, my Lord and my God, and then do magnificent work for Jesus beyond that. Doubt is part of our belief. The silent bee moves from being lost inside the subtlety and the doubt and the debt. And it moves to the beginning of belief with a capital of B and says it's okay, it's part of our belief. I remember many, many years ago, this was evidence to me in such a spectacular way. Um, how does Jesus appear to us? Where does Jesus appear to us? We had this beautiful old lady in the parish of white hair, lovely lady. And I was doing my curacy at the cathedral and I went out to visit her quite regularly. Her husband, bless his heart, of 90 years old, had decided to clean the gutters. And he climbed the ladder and, and fell. And she found him in a heap at the bottom. And sadly, there was a period of a few months where he hovered between life and death. And finally, he died. And I received this call to go and visit Joan, who is also of blessed memory. And no doubt re reunited with her beautiful hubby. But I remember going and opening the door. And she was just in tears. They'd been married for a very long time, happy, happily married. And in that moment, she looked at me and she said, he's gone. And suddenly I have so much doubt. She said, I don't know if I can believe in the resurrection anymore. What was my response? Of course it was. Oh, Joan, there's a little bit of Thomas in all of us. She turned to me in anger and she said to me, yes. And look what God did to him. He turned his wife into a pillar of salt. Now, for those of you who are clergy, I don't know how you would have responded in that, but for those of you who perhaps have got a bit lost in translation, Thomas was Jesus' apostle, apostle and Lot was, belonged to the family of Abraham like 2,000 years before that. But it was interesting because Jesus still appeared to us. Her anger brought forth more tears and she literally dissolved. And all I could do was hold out my arms, embrace her, and her shoulders shook, and her nose ran, and her tears spilled. And she just wept, and wept, and wept, as did I too. And in that moment where I was trying to decide what on earth to do, it came to me that her salty tears were bringing her peace, the peace that Jesus promised in that upper room, peace be with you. And that in that moment, that moment of grief, as it subsided, and as we came back to a space where we could talk again, she just said, oh, 
And in spite of it all, I actually do believe in the resurrection. And I think so many of us get to that place in our lives, don't we? Where does Christ appear to you in unexpected ways and how? And we all do that differently. We all find Christ in different spaces. When we struggle to connect with Christ and trying to figure out whether it's Christ or God that we speak to in our prayers or trying to figure out what Bible passages mean and what their relevance is when we don't always have the exegetical background that theologians do. How do we cope with that? When those in those times when our soul lies so unquiet within us. And I always love the fact that there are so many opportunities here in this church for us to engage with that. Whether it's in Bible study, if you're a head person and like the Bible study type of connection. Whether it is on a Thursday night or in one of the many services here that allow us to do that, whether it's a healing service or a Wednesday service, whether it's through the various different prayer groups, reflective spaces. And in talking about this, one of our parishioners, Nolene Nell, who I don't see here today, she normally comes to another service, got together and decided we'd like to try and help people to find that connection, that encounter, that appearance of Christ perhaps in the stillness. That's what we are feeling called to do. And so we're going to initiate a new service here, which Stuart has given us permission to do, called the Center of Stillness. And we're going to have it on a Sunday evening, probably on the third evening of every month. And just find contemplative prayer and a listening heart and soul. That the unquietness in our hearts, we might ask God to distill and to bring us back to a space of belief if we are finding ourselves outside of that. That is the gift that Thomas brings when that silent bee lurks in our lives, wherever it might be. So thank you so much for listening to me today. And my prayer is that you will find God appearing to you in Christ, somewhere, somehow, in the heart of another, in a bird dancing with a flower, in a task, in the eyes of your child, or your grandchild, or your partner this week. Amen. Let us uh, spend some time.